The Apostle Peter actually talked about a sign of the last days. He said mockers would come in the last days with their mocking, asking a question, where is the promise of his coming? Jesus promised he's coming again. That's in Mark 13, and it's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. In our lifetime, since 1967, in the last some 50 years, we've heard talk of a rebuilt temple. That's quite unique. And that's why students of prophecy are watching Israel, not with newspaper eschatology, not you know extreme, but, but you keep your eye over there because you know it's gonna be the center of everything that's happening in the world. Now, if you were one of the apostles and you heard Jesus say that all these stones are going down, what would your question be? I'd have two questions. When? <laughs> when is this gonna happen? And what will indicate that it's about to happen so I can make sure I'm not in town? Amen? Wouldn't you ask the same question? If you had Jesus there and Jesus just made this prophecy, I would be chomping at the bit to get information about what he just said because I know everything he says comes to pass. And I've got family and friends and people I'm concerned about, so I'm gonna ask him. Well, you just said everything's going down here that's so impressive, it looks like it could never fall. Lord, when, when is this gonna happen? And as he was sitting, verse three, on the Mount of Olives, so he's now left the temple area, which is quite picturesque of the glory departing. He was opposite the temple, verse three, Mark 13. Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Just a side note, two sets of brothers here. Peter and Andrew are brothers. James and John are brothers. And we find out something interesting about the Olivet Discourse or this sermon from the Mount of Olives. Jesus was asked privately by two sets of brothers what all this meant. These are the guys that asked. And, and I'm sure they quickly pulled him aside and said, Lord, we wanna know something. Tell us. And here's the question. They said, verse four, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? Very natural question. In light of what he said, we want to know, what, when is this going to occur, Lord? Is there some sign associated or signs associated with it? If you look at Matthew's parallel account, which is one book back, Matthew 24, you'll see how Matthew records the question, which adds a little bit more clarity to it. It's important to see. Matthew 24, Jesus has just predicted the fall of the temple, it being torn down. Matthew 24, three, and as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, tell us, when will these things be? Matthew 24, three, what will be the sign of what? Your coming and the end of the age. Now in Mark's account, and even in Luke's account, it seems like their question more relates to the immediate uh, you know, future decades within their lifetime. But the way the question is framed in Matthew's account is quite interesting because it says that they asked him about the sign of your coming and the end of the age. Now you might be asking, well what do the preterists do with this? Well the preterists say the end of the age is the end of the Jewish age. What they mean by that is when the temple fell, the Jewish age is over and the church age starts. 
That's kind of how they get around it. But what's interesting about this word in Matthew 24 or three, see the word coming there? It's a word called parousia. Here's how it's spelled, and it's an important word that you have in your uh, mind in terms of this study. The word is spelled P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A, parousia, or some people pronounce it parousia. The word parousia denotes two things, an arrival and a consequent presence. It's two Greek words, para, which means with, and ousia means being. When will you come? When will you be here? It speaks of an arrival and an ongoing presence. Here's an example. Let's say that one of your family members is coming over for Thanksgiving dinner and they're stuck in freeway traffic and you said to them, when are you coming? What you mean by that is when are you gonna be here to enjoy dinner with your active presence here? Now certain family members may call and you may hope they never come and I totally understand that. (laughs) Just kidding. We were supposed to love everybody, right? So, Some of them you may think stay too long, but that's another story. But here's the deal. If we said, when are you coming, what we mean is, when are you coming over to the house to enjoy this meal together? That's parousia. It means to come and stay. When is your active presence going to be here? When will you arrive and be here? That is parousia. When will you be uh, arriving, okay? That's an important word. And then they say, look at verse three, what will be the sign of your coming? That's their question. One of these things is gonna happen. Seems like their question includes the temporal, uh, their lifetime, and far off into the future. Back to Mark 13. This sometimes happens, and I just wanna clarify something for you students of the Bible. When you see a discourse given in multiple books of the Bible, for example, the discourse of The Olivet Sermon is given in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When you see the resurrection recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you take the four gospel accounts and blend them to get the full picture. Here's how it works. If you and I walked outside today and we saw an accident on River Road, God forbid, and we saw the color of the car and the details and how the persons reacted and so forth, each of us would bring a different perspective to what we viewed. Our perspectives would be complementary and hopefully not contradictory. We'd each be an eyewitness, but we would tell the story from our perspective or all the things that we retained. When the gospels show you multiple accounts of a different teaching, Your job as a student of the Bible is to blend them and see how they fit together to make the whole of the teaching make sense. Everybody with me? That's how it works. So that you have to see that Matthew's account is not contradictory, it's complementary. There's a little bit more detail given often in some of the Gospels. Some of the Gospels are very succinct. Mark's Gospel is known to be a very succinct, to-the-point Gospel. Bam, 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 bam. Whereas Luke and Matthew take a little bit more time to develop ideas. Both are true. You just get a little bit more detail as you look at the supplementary passages. Everybody understand what I'm saying? This is how you're supposed to interpret the Bible. And and of course, it's important that you read your Bible and study it so you can get the full picture. So they've asked these questions. Back to Mark 13, verse five. I'm gonna keep you, everybody okay? Do we need to pass any peanuts out? Everybody, everybody good? Okay, I'm gonna need about another 
10 minutes to do this justice. So hold on. Jesus began to say to them, Mark 13, 5, see to it, they asked, well, what should we look for? See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name. I take that as the name of Jesus, Mark 13, 6. And they'll be saying, I am. He is in a in italics or in parentheses, it's added by the translators, they'll literally be saying, I am. And they will mislead many. Notice the word many. Many will come and many will be misled. Shouldn't be surprising to us. We, we know in the first century, many false Christs and false messiahs rose up from the time Jesus died till the fall of Jerusalem. They would come into the temple. They would claim that they're the Messiah. And of course, they were all proven to be false. In 1 John 2.18, we're told that even now, many antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. We know up and through our day, we've had people claim to be the Messiah. We've had David Koresh claim to be Jesus Christ. We had the whole incident with Jim Jones, right? And even on the Bible Answer Show not that long ago, we had a caller call, and she said, you, you've all got it wrong about the second coming of the Lord. And we're like, what? Where's she going with this question? She said, it's all wrong. It's a lie. And we're like, we're just hearing her out. And she said, I am. And we're like, what? What'd she say? I didn't know that the Messiah was female. But anyway. <laughs> and she said, I am a couple of different times. That's when we, <laughs> this is a sign we have in the radio program. No mas. Cut them off. Put them on hold. She, she was saying she was the Messiah. Well, this has happened all throughout history. In fact, there's whole movements today that are trying to teach you that you're God. Did you know that? You just have to realize your deity and all your problems will be gone. You'll lose weight. You won't binge shop anymore. Just realize there's a deity in you. Oh my goodness. That's, well, yeah, if you have the Lord Jesus in you, that, that's one thing. But not thinking that you are God, right? That's the oldest lie in the book. And so Jesus said, here's what to look for. There's gonna be a lot of false messiahs. Here's my question. I just was thinking about this. I was thinking, he says this to the apostles. If it's only for them, do you think that someone coming up claiming to be Jesus would fool them? They'd spent three and a half years with him. Slept under the stars. Do you think if somebody came up and said, I'm Jesus, they would go, oh, really? No, they knew him pretty well. I think this is for a wider audience, wouldn't you agree? When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, wars have always happened. I was listening to a pastor here on the way into the uh, church, and he was saying, there's some, I think there's wars in 65 countries right now. You know, I'm sure a lot of you experience wars and rumors of wars on Black Friday. It was a black day for some of you, a dark day. I mean, are people nuts or what? What is going on? I understand going shopping. I understand that could be fun. But don't duke it out with somebody if they got the last article that you wanted, all right? Calm down a little bit. Life's a little bit more than that. Wars, rumors of wars, that could be our time. It could be the time of the apostles. He says the end is not yet keep going for nation will rise against nation kingdom against kingdom there will be earthquakes in various places we know we've had a lot of earthquakes lately maybe even an increase of earthquakes but during the lifetime of the apostles there was a major earthquake in Laodicea and then Mount Vesuvius exploded 
and buried Pompeii in lava while people were shopping. Hey folks, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, and we'll be back to the message in just a moment. We've been doing a Sunday night service called 633, and in it, we've been looking at a subject called the dark dangers of the occult. The occult speaks of that which is hidden, secret, literally occluded, behind the veil. People are fascinated with these subjects, but God warned in both the Old and New Testament that the occult is something that is forbidden and even dangerous. We want you to have access to these resources to teach you more about the occult so you can tell people who are dabbling in it or messing with it about the hope and the love and the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. You can access this information at our website, walkintruth.com. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. We know we've had a lot of earthquakes lately, maybe even an increase of earthquakes, but during the lifetime of the apostles, there was a major earthquake in Laodicea. And then Mount Vesuvius exploded and buried Pompeii in lava while people were shopping on Black Friday. (laughs) And they were frozen in the lava. Some of you guys have seen these pictures. They actually have the pictures of people carrying their Gucci purse forever captured in the lava flow of Mount Vesuvius. Yeah, it happened back in their day, and of course it's happened in our day. There's been a lot of earthquakes. Jesus says, verse 8, he tells us about uh, the beginning of birth pangs. He says there's going to be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. I was listening to the same pastor who said, uh, each night that we go to sleep, there's millions of people that go to sleep hungry, Every night, some 40,000 babies that die every day in our world. I think we ought to be counting our blessings, don't you? People are living in desperate times and in misery in other places that we often don't want to look at. But he says all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. The image here is of a woman in labor. Of course, when she gives birth, she forgets about her labor. That's what another part of the passage or another verse says. For the joy of the child that's coming to the world. But but these things will be like birth pangs and and it may express intensification before the birth, before the new life or the new beginning. And so Jesus says, be on your guard for they will deliver you to the courts. This happened to the apostles. You will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake. The apostle Paul did that as a testimony to them. And the gospel must uh, first be preached to how many? All the nations. Some people argue that's the Roman world and it was accomplished by the apostles. But I'm not sure that that can be uh, held up. And when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not be anxious before about what you are to say. But whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but is the Holy Spirit. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, addressed the Sanhedrin. They took note of that, of him being with Jesus. He had boldness and wisdom. And then it gets uglier. It says, brother will deliver brother to death. And a father, his child, children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Now, did did this happen during the fall in AD 70? It's possible. But this is an extreme thing, don't you think? For you to betray a family member to death either means you really hate the gospel and you hate Christ, 
or it means your life is being threatened. But we do know this, there have been some people, by the way, all over the Muslim world, they're saying that people who are in Islam are having dreams about Jesus is being verified by very reputable sources. And people who are in Islam are coming to Jesus in great numbers just by having dreams of Jesus without even the help of a missionary. Very interesting. But you guys know that if someone who's involved in Islam converts and a family member finds out and is extreme, we've had some stories where they've actually literally killed the child. And so there is precedent for, for this kind of stuff. And Jesus says, man, family members are gonna turn on each other. Children rising up against parents and having them put to death. Scary stuff. And you will be hated by all on account of my name. But the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. That word saved could mean delivered. It could speak of the rapture there. Enduring to the end, not we don't work for our salvation, so I don't think the idea here is that you hang on to the end and your soul will be saved. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches we're saved by grace. So enduring to the end, I think, speaks of a difficult time where the Lord will come and rescue the church by rapture. And then the final verse for this afternoon. But when you see, Lord, what's the sign? He's gonna give more, but here's a, here's a primary sign. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea, keyword, flee to the mountains. Part of the reason Jesus is telling this is so people will get out at the proper time. What would be the sign? When should we not be in town? Here's the deal. Look for the abomination of desolation. Now, if I asked you, explain to me the abomination of desolation, Somebody, some of you would know, have an idea, and some of you would say, what? Well, here's the deal. This is found, this exact language is found in the Old Testament in Daniel 11. And I know I'm keeping you over, but please turn there. Daniel 11, I'm gonna show you the verse, and I'll tell you the quick history regarding this. Daniel 11, we're gonna look at verse 31. The word abomination is a Greek word that speaks of something detestable, foul. It speaks of an idol or idolatry. Desolation well, how would you define desolation? Something is desolate, what's happened? It's laid waste, there's nothing there. It's empty, gone, devastated. Daniel eleven thirty one. And forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress, and do away with the regular sacrifice. And they will set up, Daniel eleven thirty one, the abomination of desolation. Now, this is a prophecy in Daniel 11. Daniel's written at least 500 years before Christ. And a prophecy's given about an event to the future of Daniel that took place at least in one part. This, this is the fulfillment of it. There was a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. And he thought he was a god. He thought he was the uh, arrival of the gods and he was a man of war and he was going through Israel and he went into Jerusalem and he decided to take his wrath out on the people of Israel. This is 168 BC, so before Christ. He went into the temple, he took a statue of Zeus, the Greek god, put it on the altar of burnt offering and slaughtered a pig and spread its blood all over the temple area. The Jews called that an abomination that causes desolation because for the Jews, 
The temple was now defiled, taking swine's blood and doing this sort of thing. So the Jews attempted to cleanse the temple, and this is recorded in what's called the intertestamental books of First and Second Maccabees. They're called apocryphal books. They're not inspired scripture, but they're historical. They're written between Malachi and Matthew. So they record this event and they say that Antiochus went in there and he spread the swine's blood and he was telling the Jews that they couldn't circumcise their children anymore and there was a battle and through guerrilla warfare, a, a, a godly priest named Mattathias and his sons uh, rose up against this, this invader and they, through guerrilla warfare, finally got the enemy out and cleansed the temple and that's the, the holiday we call Hanukkah. And so here's, here's what happened historically. But Jesus says, look for the abomination of desolation future to his time. That happened in 168 before Jesus ever gave this sermon. So what happened with Antiochus Epiphanes is a foreshadowing of what will ultimately happen in the future. Everybody with me? Now, did it happen at the fall of AD 70 of the temple? Well, in one way it did because Titus Vespasian went in there we're told the zealots were in the Holy of Holies where they didn't belong. Only the high priest could go there only once a year and they were committing murder in the Holy of Holies and the temple was desecrated. And armies did surround Jerusalem, which is what Luke tells us would happen. And I gotta t take you there. <laughs> One more. Luke 21. You got the peanuts back there? Luke 21. All right. Here's, here's the last scripture Pastor Michael promises. So when these armies surrounded Israel around the time of AD 70, Jesus did say these words. Luke 21, 20. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her what? Desolation is at hand. Luke 21, 21. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of the city depart. And Josephus tells us that people, when these things started happening, started leaving the city. They knew Jesus' prophecy, and they were leaving the city. Here's how he describes it, like swimmers swimming away from a sinking ship. It actually did happen, but I still think there's a future fulfillment, and I'll show you why when we do part two of this message. I'll show you how there's a future happening that I think these things foreshadow, and I think armies will surround Jerusalem again. And I believe it will be a cup of trembling for all the nations and God is going to rescue his people. And that's the yet future to us. The time, we don't know. The season, perhaps we can know as we look at signs. But uh, that's it for this morning. There you go. All right, I'm glad you came. All right, everybody just take a deep breath. All right, so... Part two, next time I'm up here, we'll do part two of I've told you everything in advance. But I, do want, I want to close with this. I, I started the message by asking why prophecy? Well, because the Bible's filled with it and you should know your Bible. But number two, because it gives me hope that Jesus is coming again. And he's going to make everything that's wrong right again. And we're going to have a golden age. And that's all ahead of us. And I know it means a lot to those of you who have experienced loss recently and you're trying to make sense of it and you're wondering is there a solid hope of which I can rest and hang my hat on and know that it's true 
Well, here you have Jesus, and it's impossible for him to lie. And he told us everything in advance. Why? So we might have hope, but we might also be a prepared people. And I would also say this, a people who's busy about his business. Uh, Shane, we'll forego the closing song. Would everybody stand? Thank you for your patience and for being here today. If you've not met Jesus Christ, I'm just gonna encourage you from the bottom of my heart to make today your day when you meet him. He's God. He came down to this earth because he loved you. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose to defeat your mortal enemy, death itself. Because he lives, you can live. But you must place your faith in Jesus Christ, in him alone. Not in good works, not in anything that you can bring to the table, but you just must ask him, Lord, forgive me. It must be something like this. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. I want to trust you with all that I am. If I'm going to call you Lord, then I want to follow you. Help me. I'm standing behind a piece of wood, but I'm a man just like you. I have my moments of weakness, my moments when I don't perform as well as I'd like to, don't pray as much as I want to, (laughs) don't act the way I should. I'm not always as patient as I should be. And I, and I look and I, and I sometimes say, Lord, do you, do you really love a guy like me? <laughs> and the Lord says, yeah, Michael, that's why I came. I came because I knew you were imperfect. I knew what I was getting when I signed you up. <laughs> Amen. So be of good cheer, brothers and sisters. He's overcome the world. He did for us what we cannot do. And he loves you. And he wants you to be part of his family. That's why he... If we could put it this way, that's why he postpones his coming. He knew you were coming. I'm glad he didn't come before the late 80s. Because if he did, I was in deep trouble. And sometimes, you know, we, we look at news reports and we say, oh, come, Lord Jesus. And I understand that. And I say it sometimes, too. But then there's other times that I say, Lord, thank you that you've put off your coming so that more precious people can come in. Thank you that you're more patient than us. (laughs) Amen? So I just want to encourage you. Remember his first coming, no doubt. Let's celebrate. But let's also look forward to him coming again. Let's be busy about his business so that when he comes, he will find faith on the earth. He will find people who are faithful to him because he's always been faithful to us. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael, and I appreciate you listening to today's message. I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. On the store, we have a brand new teaching up. It's on the occult. It's called The Dark Dangers of the Occult. And we have taught on the subject of demon possession, and we also have taught on the subject of Wicca or witchcraft. And there's more to come. And you need to know about this subject. You need to know what's going on with the occult, what the Bible says about it. It warns about it being forbidden. It warns that you should not mess with it. But there's also something else. We need to reach out to people in love with the truth of Jesus who've gotten involved in the occult. You can have access to this information, these resources to learn more and to become a more effective ambassador for Christ. It's all available at the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.